invite you to be seated. Um, today we have Eva Morton sharing the word with us. And uh, just to remind you, we're, we're doing a sermon series on the marks of the kingdom. And uh, I'm really thankful David was here last week because I was awaiting the results of a COVID test. And uh, so I, I think you talked about, you know, telling the good news. Okay, and today we're going to look at discipleship and, and nurturing in the faith. Thank you, Eva. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Let the children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the king kingdom of God belongs. When I was a child, our family started attending church in the nearby town because our own small church building wasn't winterized and my father was determined to take his family to church every week, no matter what. It was a large congregation with a pipe organ and a choir, with choir gowns, and the women wore mortarboards. One of the grown-ups quickly noticed that we loved to sing and did so with gusto. So four of us, the youngest, my brother Alan, only six years old, were invited to join the choir. They might have noticed that Alan actually had the best voice of all and still sings in local choirs to this day. Every choir likes to have a lovely little boy with a nice high soprano voice, right? It was gorgeous. He had a, always has had a lovely voice. It was a brilliant move. Not only did we get to wear gowns and sit in the balcony, but we started to pay attention. We looked forward to going to worship services because we actually had jobs to do. And the adults around us seemed to appreciate us. We learned something about church music, too. A lot of what I know about uh, church hymns and, and tunes and things like that came started right away, right at that young age. We were sometimes tempted to doze off during the sermon. And in fact, one of our family stories is my brother Alan, who was the young, he was the young one. We, he sat in the very front and the balcony had this nice wide ledge. He would lean over on the ledge like this and midway through the sermon almost every week he would go, <laughs> the congregation noticed, I'm not sure the preacher did, but it was, it was uh, certainly a source of entertainment and perhaps a cue that the preacher might be a little long-winded. Today, we're looking at the second mark of mission, to teach, baptize, and nurture. To be honest, it feels awkward talking about this in the midst of COVID-19 restrictions. There are so many things we just can't do at this time. More than ever, we're up against online entertainment of every sort. What do we have to offer compared to video games? I have lots of bright ideas. Messy church, more drama in worship, I have a portfolio of lectionary-based plays 
but I'm just dying to use. Puppet shows, and we're all prevented by COVID-19 restrictions. Well, first of all, let's just stop and think about what Jesus would do. Jesus included everyone. Jesus embraced children and told us to become like them. We all need to feel we belong. We need to know we're valued, that we have something to contribute. Right now, it feels strange to have so few children around. We miss them. But would we really welcome them as equals if they were here? Or would we pat them on the head, feed them cookies, and usher them out the door to Sunday school? Jesus said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. That means anyone who has received the Holy Spirit. It means that, that even the youngest, most immature follower of Jesus is a channel of God's love. We need all the channels of love we can get. When we lived in Campbellton, we had a family that had just moved to town and lived around the corner from the church. There had been a lot of upheaval in their lives, and they were a combined family getting off to a rocky start, like the Brady Bunch. The youngest daughter, about eight years old at the time, made friends with our daughter and decided she wanted to go to church. The following Sunday, she came all by herself. Brave soul. And she came by herself for several weeks after that. After a couple of weeks, her family reluctantly came along. By the time we moved seven years later, her mother was one of our wardens. That little girl's age did not prevent her from participating in kingdom life or becoming a channel of God's love to those around her. I feel very strongly that maturity in the faith should not be a prerequisite to ministry. There is always something to do. We are members of the body of Christ and have gifts according to our temperament and the talents God has given us. People leave organizations when they're not needed or appreciated. When I know my contribution is valued, I'm much more likely to be invested in something. I remember one of my greatest frustrations as a child was not being listened to by the grown-ups. Sometimes they would pretend they were paying attention, but I knew they weren't when they ignored what I had just said. I'm guilty of this, I admit saying something reassuring to a young person, then not following up. After this happens 
enough time, the person who is ignored just stops caring. The first and most important ministry of any Christian is to share the love of God with those around us. Jesus called us the light of the world. And you don't hide a light under a bushel. When we were singing in the church choir as children, the one part of the service that bored us silly was the sermon. We all have stories to tell, and I can guarantee that if each one of us shares our stories, our faith experiences, we will usually have a receptive audience. One of the things we miss, right, is meeting after, after the service and sitting together and having our tea and our coffee and, and talking to one another. And isn't the most interesting thing when somebody has a story to tell, right? Somebody, something happened in the last week and, and we're all sitting there with our listening to hear this wonderful, interesting, humorous sometimes story. That's how we nurture and teach one another, is in our storytelling, in our reminiscences, in our sharing our faith experiences. Part of teaching is learning by example, inviting the young and inexperienced to participate rather than just being observers gives us the opportunity for on-the-job training. Have you ever noticed that when you're teaching someone else, you're also giving yourself a refresher course? Even young children have stories to tell and experience to share. And I don't think any single person in this parish will forget the words that Colin Ranson said to us when he said, God never puts anyone in the garbage. <laughs> we will never forget that. He was teaching us something. We've all observed bored, restless children unable to sit still. They're often considered disruptive and ushered out of our presence where they will be less of a distraction. What does that teach? That worship is something only adults are allowed to do. Years ago, when I was a camp director, I occasionally had what people called problem children. The ones who didn't listen to instructions, who disrupted organized events, often loud and sometimes rough. One of the things I used to do was take these children aside and give them jobs to do. I made them responsible for something. Collecting firewood for the campfires, being a buddy to a younger camper, helping with chores. One young boy with severe ADHD was given time out by entertaining and feeding my pet guinea pig. I want to suggest that perhaps we as the church have dropped the ball because we've not asked or invited our children and young people to have more responsibility. And not just in Sunday worship. Not everyone is cut out for choir singing or scripture reading. 
We all know how much work it is to maintain church prophecy. One of the best ways to strike up a conversation about the faith is while working on a project together. One of the reasons we have such fond memories of apple pie week is because of the relationships and conversations we've had with one another. It's this wonderful opportunity to hear one another's stories, we hear, we learn from one another. I was really pleased when we had an instructional Eucharist a couple of weeks ago. That's the sort of thing we should be doing more often. When we finally emerge out of the dark forest of COVID-19, perhaps we can do more interactive teaching sessions like that. I get bored when I don't really know what's going on or when something is way over my head. I zone out. I believe we should be doing services more interactively and that everyone who wants to should have a chance to do something other than sit still and pay attention. <laughs> Anglican worship is complicated and it doesn't come with an instruction manual unless you read the rubrics in fine print in red ink in the prayer book. When my husband was newly ordained, the first Sunday in our new parish, I dutifully ushered our family into the front pew, knowing it was probably not claimed by anyone else, and feeling that it was the proper clergy wife thing to do. I didn't realize that because of where I was sitting, I was expected to take the lead. When to stand, when to sit, when to kneel, when to stand for him. And who goes first for communion? I wasn't even an Anglican yet. I kept looking over my shoulder to see what we were supposed to do next, while the people behind me were expecting me to show them. Live and learn. Imagine what it's like for newcomers and young children trying to figure out what's going on in a traditional worship service. Once a person understands what's happening and has been mentored in the customs, practices, and beliefs of our worshiping community, I'm sure they'll be more invested in continuing on the journey of faith. And symbols are important. Symbols are important, and tradition's important. I mean, look at the scouting movement, right? And, um, and so many other organizations. Why do so many kids join the militia? There's something about tradition and custom and, and knowing how to behave in a certain place at a certain time that appeals. There's something about the pageantry. We all know that the Christian journey is much more than showing up for worship on Sunday. But the truth is, that's where the action is. That's where we begin. All the other elements of Christian discipleship develop out of worship. One thing leads to another. I don't think we can have one without the other. It's always been a concern of mine, for example, that children who attend summer camp or vacation Bible school find 
a home in a regular worshiping community. The habit of worship, complicated as it sometimes is, is the anchor that will keep their faith steady. Ideally, to teach and nurture should be happening whenever we meet together, whether for worship or for baking pies. It's a lifestyle, not a program. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you welcome everyone and that every single one of us has a story to tell and faith experiences to share. So I pray that, that we would be conscious of that and take the opportunities you give us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.